Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. She said I was prepared and worked hard and those qualities you wouldn't think would qualify you for a position, but you never know who's watching and when and where, so always, always do your best. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from our guest for this episode, Ryan Bartholomew in Midland, Texas. I try to make sure we're highlighting all the different types of career options that come from having an accounting background. So I invited Ryan on the show because his career has really been built more in the small and mid-market company space. Plus, Ryan just has a very level-headed, balanced approach to life and his career, so I knew he would have some good insight to share with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit us online as well at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have links there to all the professional events in Texas, as well as links to certification information. And I'm very excited to say we've recently become affiliates with a few of the CPA exam review courses. So if you're looking into the CPA exam, please visit our website to check out all the different options. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Ryan Bartholomew from Midland, Texas. Well, hello, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming on the program. I appreciate you dedicating some time to share it with the audience. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. No problem. I'm glad you accepted the invitation. Well, for the audience, I invited Ryan on the show because recently we've had several guests from larger entities, which is wonderful, you know, big four firms and really big corporate America and industry. But I always like to make sure we highlight as much variety in careers as possible. And so I invited Ryan because his career is, has really been primarily spent with more mid-sized organizations. And I've had the opportunity to speak with him a couple times over the years. I know he's just the kind of person that's going to be very open about his journey and and his insights. I think it's going to be very valuable for all of us. Ryan, before we get into what you do now and, you know, sort of what a typical day is like and and that kind of thing, let's start at the beginning and sort of walk through, yeah, the, the different stages in your career. What initially caused you to pursue accounting as a possible career in the first place? How'd you get started? Sure. When I was a a child, uh, my dad uh, was a VP of finance for a mid-sized equipment company uh, here in Midland, and he held that position for, I believe it was 11 and a half years. He thoroughly enjoyed that, and I've always looked up to him. We're wired similarly, so I, I figured that that would be a good career path. So I had decided even as early as high school that I was going to pursue becoming a, a CPA. He he is not a CPA, and he was eventually transitioned into a different role 
and replaced by somebody who was. So that's another motivation to take that extra step. Just having him to look up to and that inspiration made me consider that as a career path. I also had some what we called tutors in high school, the teachers that encouraged me to look into a science career path too. So when I went into college, I was actually accounting was my major, and then I was pre-med, took all the sciences needed to apply to medical school. So considered that as a career path as well. But once I got out of school and got my first job, realized I really did enjoy accounting, and I really am wired well for that role. The pre-med helped me get to the 150-hour requirement to sit for the CPA exam a little quicker. <laughs> my first year on the job as an auditor at Elms Ferguson Company here in Midland, small regional public accounting firm that's since been acquired by Weaver, I was working as an auditor and also that first year took several accounting classes online and then took the ethics course that spring. So I've got all the requirements to sit for the CPA exam after my first year on the job and began the process of tackling each section one at a time, tried to take one early in a testing window and then one late in a testing window and knocked them all out on the first try within two testing windows. So was licensed January 22nd, 2008. So coming up on my 10-year anniversary here this next week. So pretty exciting. I was very excited to pass the CPA exam and become a CPA. Wow. Congratulations. 10 years. Thank you. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. There you go. You know, there's bound to be easier ways to get the 150 hours than being pre-med. That just that seems absolutely overkill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily the most applicable now, but the process of learning is always beneficial. So I enjoyed enjoyed science, enjoyed math, enjoyed logic, you know, all those things. So just have a love for learning. And, and the great thing about being a CPA is you get to continue to learn your entire career. Interesting. Yeah, I just have to ask, I'm curious. That's definitely a unique path, you know, to take to, to be doing both. Was there any kind of plan to try to use both in your career at some point? Or were you truly just keeping two options open? I feel like early on, I was thinking that maybe unique doors might open by having both and maybe even trying both out. Once I had interviewed at a couple of medical schools and did not get accepted, I did not have enough shadowing and maybe not a high enough score on the MCAT. It was going to be another year you know, to apply again, and that's where I was anxious to start working and start actually making money. So the length of that process and the commitment to be becoming a physician it is a big commitment. So I liked the the path to becoming a CPA and really felt wanted by that profession straight out of college and onto the first job. So I'd interviewed at three different public accounting firms and uh, got job offers from all three of them. And, you know, that's a very encouraging and just seemed like a lot of opportunity long-term and something that I, I would potentially enjoy. So I guess I thought I might become like a hospital administrator or CFO of a hospital or something someday with experience on both the medicine side and, and in accounting. But it turned out you could that there's a lot of opportunities within just being a CPA that I was excited about. So There you go. You know, it's too bad if you would have become a doctor, 
you would have been potentially the first doctor in history to actually understand accounting. I, I know. I was told that a lot of doctors do not have a good business sense. So having that combination would have been quite a powerful combination. So. <laughs> it's probably a little bit of a stereotype, but I've heard that before as well. <laughs> sure. It, it very well could be. So you get out of college. Your first job was with Elms Ferris, you were saying? Correct. Okay. Okay. I'm curious because I, I know we have a lot of younger listeners that are, are in their college years and then right out of college. You said you had a decision between three firms. How, how did you make that decision? Part of it was location. One one was in Abilene where I was going to school. I went to Abilene Christian University. And then two of the other interviews were in here in Midland, which is where I grew up and where I have family. So part of it was based on the location and thinking about the economy. One person I talked to had worked in both Abilene and Midland, and he just thought Midland was more fun. And I guess specifically have more exposure to the energy industry here. So that was all a factor. And I, you know, comparing it's it's hard to compare the kind of offers from the different firms because they all seem very close and, you know, one place may pay overtime, another place pays a higher base salary. And there are a lot of factors. And at some point you just have to trust your gut and take a risk and hope that it's it's a good decision. But I definitely enjoyed my time there in public accounting. I ended up being in public accounting for three years, auditing mostly oil and gas companies, audited some nonprofit organizations, some employee benefit plans, did some agreed upon procedures. We had some service companies and a chemical company that we audited as well. So lots of interesting companies and you get to see a lot of what's done really well and what a company with good internal controls looks like and then other places where it's more of a nightmare and you're you're trying to figure things out. So a well-run organization is definitely something that you want to work for long-term. So you get to have a pretty good feel for what that looks like as an auditor. Okay. How long were you in public accounting? For three years total. And I was planning to continue in that path and try to work my way up to partner eventually. But the I got a call from my piano teacher's husband. I'd taken piano lessons from second grade through high school and would always see my piano teacher's husband at the recitals and knew them also from church. He was an elder in our our church and uh, got a call from him kind of out of the blue asking if I'd be interested in interviewing for the CFO position. He had a CFO at his company retiring in a couple of months. I could work under him and kind of learn a little bit before he left and then be transitioned into that role. So my piano teacher when they were looking, had thought of me, you know, thought of some of the qualities that I had as a piano student and thought that that would translate well to being a good employee here. So she said I was prepared and worked hard and those qualities you wouldn't think would qualify you for a position, but you never know who's watching and when and where. So always, always do your best. Okay. I didn't realize you had started in the CFO role. That's, that's interesting because you've been there a while. I have, so almost nine years now. Okay. Wow. So three three years out of college and you start and your then, first And then I'm ready to be thrown into the, the fire of being a CFO. So. <laughs> Where did you go to school again? Because they prepared you well, apparently. They did, yeah. Abilene Christian University. So I had wonderful professors there. 
uh, think very highly of the of the school. So. Wow! Wow! Okay. So tell us about your organization now, and and sort of what a a typical day is like for you in the CFO role. So CFO wears a lot of different hats. We are a pretty small company. We're upstream oil company, privately held. We have other entities, probably 10 entities total. Some of those have investments in real estate. So the largest thing that we manage is a ranch here in Midland and Martin counties. And we have some real estate development opportunities going on with that. Um, We've had everything from a snowmobile business to even some, we had a interest in an aircraft. So we had an entity dedicated to keeping up with the books for that. So lots of interesting things that you get to learn in a small business environment and specifically as a CFO. So some of the things that I'll look at on a daily basis will be treasury-related things, with whether I need to transfer cash or you know, every week we're doing a check run, so making sure every invoice is signed off on. And But kind of more of the broader things, looking strategically at how best to develop the ranch or how best to develop our oil and gas assets. Okay. How much of your time is spent in sort of typical accounting duties? You know, financial reporting, approval, you know, like you said, of invoices, that kind of stuff. Sure. Probably... You know, a third of my time would be financial reporting or other things you'd think of typically for accounting. As a CFO of a small company, we don't have a dedicated IT person, so that IT function falls on me. So sometimes it's troubleshooting and working with a IT consultant or, you know, everything from understanding kind of the HR role and our benefits packages for our employees and the 401k, all that stuff, understanding what all our company offers and and all the different, you know, whether it's payroll or all the different things that help keep everything moving. So, Okay. Okay. You know, you're, you're 12 years out of school. Is that about right? That is correct. Okay. How has the job been different than, you know, what you, what you thought it might be back in school? Sure. I don't know that I had a real expectation straight out out of college of what a, like a CFO role would be. I was certainly anxious to just start working hard and proving myself wherever that might be. But definitely in the last nine years, my perception of the CFO has changed pretty dramatically. I remember Bill Reeb in TSCPA's Leadership Development Institute teaching that as we move from data entry and information and knowledge to interpretation and recommendations, we really start to add value to the organization. So much of the value that I add is in strategic planning or managing the accounting department, being efficient as a team. So there's a natural progression, you know, early in the career, and it moves down that spectrum from, you know, data entry to recommendations. So hopefully we're all growing wiser and adding more value every day. Okay. I'm curious, did, you know, nine years ago when you started in this role, were you able to be as, as strategic and, and analysis-focused back then, or is that something you've, you've had to, I guess, bring into the role over the years? I certainly feel like I've grown in that quite a bit over the years. When I first came in, we we're a little behind in financial reporting, so was focused mostly on that initially and catching up and making sure you know everything within the accounting department's running efficiently and kind of learning the business, really. So it takes a while to feel like you know the 
routine of everything that has to happen, and then you can start thinking big picture of where are we strategically going as an organization? Do we have all the right people on the bus? Are they in the right seat? That kind of a thing. And I think that's definitely, it took several years to feel comfortable and feel like I I knew a little bit about what I was doing. So I had a couple months working with the prior CFO and, you know, asked a lot of questions and, but definitely it, you learn a lot just on the job and through mistakes and through experience. Okay. Now, from my understanding, it's a substantial jump to go from controller to CFO just in terms of what you're focusing on. And, and so I'm sure it is to go from auditor to yeah. CFO. <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you can't just go back to your textbooks and figure it out necessarily. You know, is there anything over the years that, that you feel you've done in the self-development arena that, that's helped you to, to do your job better as a CFO? I mean, certainly anything that you can get your hands on as far as either communication or leadership, I've enjoyed so much what I've been able to learn and grow from through volunteering and participating in the Texas Society of CPA. So I'm happy to promote that because that's been critical in my development personally and in, in my development of my career. So, Okay. What roles have you held with TSCPA? I have actually I started volunteering on and became a board member on our Permian Basin chapter, a board of directors, within several months after becoming licensed and eventually was the president of our chapter for the 2013-14 fiscal year. Okay. I was asked that same year by Willie Hornberger to be a one-year appointee to TSCPA's executive board, and I'm currently serving a three-year elected term to the executive board that will conclude May 31st. The chair of our chapter, CP committee, and then my state-level involvement has included serving on the Young CPAs Emerging Professionals Committee, the Strategic Planning Committee, the CPE Advisory Board, the Nominations Committee, and the Federal Tax Policy Committee. Is there anything left? I mean, I think you named... There, there's a few committees that I'm avoiding, so no, I... I I've enjoyed, it's a different experience on every single committee and you you meet different people, but just that experience of working together in a group and learning from people who are are much wiser than I am has been very beneficial. Okay. Okay. Is that what you enjoy the most, just sort of the the growth aspect and hanging around smart people? I think so. I, I feel like I always gain more from volunteering than I ever can give. The leadership development opportunities, broadening your network of friends and colleagues, and getting to be a part of something meaningful are all what I would consider to be my favorite favorite part of volunteering. So I doubt that any of us, when we get to the end of our lives, will look back and wish that we'd volunteered less. So I try to say yes when I can. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah, I think one key aspect of being able to, to volunteer is... You can always volunteer a little bit, but but when you get very involved, you need the support of your employer. Absolutely, uh, to some extent. Yeah, I, I take it you've you've had some some very supportive upper management. Yes, yeah. the The owner of the company has been very gracious to me and allowing me to volunteer quite a bit. That's one of the things I love so much about being here. But he has allowed me to dedicate time to various organizations, and you know, the main thing is all the work gets done at the end of the day. So 
as long as that keeps happening, he's he's pleased. That's wonderful. That's that's a good attitude. Yeah, yeah. Because some of the positions you're talking about definitely require some travel. So sure. That's good. That's good. I'm curious. Do you have any other volunteer efforts? Either I do. Or um, I've served as the treasurer since about mid 2011 for this organization called Nexus Church Planting Leadership. Uh, they plant churches scheduled for their 50th church plant later this year. They mentor church planters, providing what they call leader care, and they launch and nurture regional networks in neighboring states. So my goal in volunteering for them has been to save them enough money over time that eventually an additional church could be planted because of it. So that gets me kind of excited to think about. How large an organization is that? Or I guess how much time does that take? I've got it to where I'm doing quarterly financials. We'll do several checks for them a week and we've you know the people up here don't mind adding printing a few more checks so it's it's not a not a big deal there but we will have you know a couple of board meetings a year and maybe a retreat I think we were talking about for this next year so not a whole lot of time that's that's dedicated to that but it's very rewarding the time that I've invested so okay another organization that I just started volunteering for this last year is a community children's clinic and here in Midland, and I'll, I'm starting as the treasurer this year, the mission is to provide medical care for sick children living in Midland County in a manner consistent with the standards of care available from a private family physician for families facing income challenges. So it's a wonderful organization that's been able to bless this community, and I was excited to be asked to be a part of it. So You're a busy guy. I am. <laughs> And, and you, you have a large family, right? I do. I have three daughters. Okay. Six, four, and two. So they're all pretty busy, busy little people. So. Okay. Wow. Wow. I just, I, I wanted to point that I didn't remember how many. I, I just, I remembered it was more than two, and I wasn't sure how many more than two. Um, right. But you know, for anybody listening that thought, oh well, you know, probably doesn't do much outside of of just the volunteering and work. No, you you <laughs> you have a full I, life. I do. I did full. That's neat. Well, I I wouldn't be doing the podcast justice if I didn't ask about this because, you know, back to your career, you're in the oil and gas or the petroleum industry. Sure. And obviously, we had some really wonderful years, and then then things changed. <laughs> it's been a little different the last few years. Absolutely. What has the last few years been like for for you guys and are there any positives I guess or learning experiences that came out of this drop frankly in oil prices here in Washington? Sure when I first joined oil prices were just rebounding and I think they hit about 60 the month that I first became employed here and then they had these five years of just very stable and high oil prices and then towards the end of 2014, they just completely crashed. I remember I kept refreshing on that Thanksgiving 2014 and just seeing the price dropping lower and lower and faster and faster. So it was a difficult time. The pace is a lot different when prices are lower. A positive experience, there's a, a verse in James that says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So we got to build some perseverance over the last couple of years through overcoming challenges. We learned the value of hedging when prices are at historic highs to protect against the downside. We also learned how important it was to be diversified 
having that ranch and various other forms of cash flow to fall back on in addition to having producing properties as an upstream oil company were critical during that time. Strategically, it's wise to evaluate producing wells frequently at lower prices and whether it makes sense to have some temporarily shut in until prices stabilize. But a lot of emphasis is placed on lowering your operating cost to a minimum and slowing the capital expenditure during the, the downward cycle. It's definitely a cyclical industry and you know it's a different part of the roller coaster and you learn a different set of skills and it certainly produces character when you're at a, a lower point. So how many employees do you guys have just ballpark? Uh we are at about ten now. We we've had as many as twenty two or so, but recently sold off a large amount of assets and a lot of the employees went with those. So Okay. Okay. Oh the reason I ask is I, I was curious if you you know, had any thoughts or advice, if you will, for managing through that with the team? You know, cause I know the message from the top is, is very important. <laughs> when sure. you keep refreshing and then the price is going down and down and, and everybody knows it, you know? Sure. I, I think it's important to have open and clear communication in an organization to answer questions, take some time out to actually visit with people and make sure they're not worrying about things that they shouldn't be worried about. There's sometimes I've, I've been told somebody's worrying about something and I'm like, well, I'm the CFO. If anybody should be worrying about that, that probably should be me, but I'm not worried. So I think visiting with people and taking time to see where they're at and kind of gauging that and openly communicating and just realizing that we're all in the same boat and trying to work through through it together. I, I think there's a great sense of camaraderie when you overcome challenges as a team and work through difficult times. So it's definitely something that refines you and builds character. Yeah, I was thinking of of how to sort of sum this all up with your career and you know, you you've had you've had a wonderful career. I mean you you got a good start to it, you had a couple options, you know, you get your certification, public, then in the industry now as a CFO for several years, you're very involved in the community, you seem like you have a lot of balance, you know, in, in your life, yeah. a lot of different things, which is wonderful. I, If you could go back in time, and I know as funny as that sounds, but if you mm-hmm. could give your younger self a piece of advice, what do you think that might be? With the benefit of hindsight, I would have dramatically increased our hedging position before prices fell in 2014. We had great hedges in place, and more of that would have just helped. So other than that, there's not a lot that I would do differently. So not sure what other pieces of advice that I would have other than, you know, be humble, learn. You can learn something from everybody. Just listen and try to apply what you learn. Nothing about your career, huh? I don't think I would do anything differently. So okay. I, I don't think I would go advise myself to, to take a different career path. Okay. Do you think you still would have spent the time with the pre-med? I mean, it, it did save me some time with a lot of people I know who stayed around for another year and got their master's, which, I mean, there's definitely benefit in that. But I I was happy to get on the job and start working and still be able to a sit for the CPA exam so quickly after graduating. So uh, okay. definitely times were challenging. It was hard when we were traveling out of town for an audit, you know, working 50 hours a week. And I was studying during the lunch break and 
in the evening in the hotel room, and then you come back for a weekend real quick, and then and see your wife, and but you're spending some of that time studying too. So I wanted it just to knock that out as soon as possible, so that I could put that behind me and just focus on the future. But I would have told myself to pass it as quickly as possible. And I don't think there's a, a faster path that I could have done based on the way that I actually did it. So that would be my advice to anybody that's young is and considering a career in accounting is pursue the CPA exam and becoming licensed as quickly as you can, as early in your career as possible, because you're just going to take on more responsibility and have less time and gotten further away from your study habits the further on down you go. That's great advice. Yeah, we, we all think, you know, at that point that we have all the time in the world. We can do this a little later, but we really sure. don't. <laughs> yeah, kids happen, and then you know yeah. you have a growing family, and it's it's hard to. I passed before I had kids, so that that made it easier. I can't imagine trying to study with three little ones running around at home. So, well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, so I'd like to get to those. First one is usually the easiest. What has been your proudest moment? Sure. I I would say that I've had several. As a parent, anytime I see one of my three daughters express joy or gratitude or selflessness, that makes me unbelievably proud. As a volunteer, I was the recipient of TSCPA's Young CPA of the Year Award for 2015-2016 fiscal year. And that was just such a wonderful surprise and certainly meant a lot to me. So, but as a team member in my current organization, we recently, as I mentioned, sold off a large portion of assets and had to work closely with an accounting department from a larger company. That accounting department was astonished with our efficiency as a team, and it just made me quite proud that, frankly, a smaller group of people could run circles around them. <laughs> it is nice to get that outside perspective. <laughs> it is. That's neat. That's neat. Well, tell us about a mistake that you've made and, and what you learned from it, of course. That's that's the really valuable part. But frankly, you know, the bigger the better. Yeah. I like the big mistakes. So, I mean, this this mistake, I feel like, affected the whole organization. And certainly there were other decision makers involved in it. But really working with a syndicate of banks or a group of banks in financing our kind of assets and our growth in, in the oil and gas assets was the largest mistake that I, I feel like I've participated in and, and really feel responsible for. The banks did not get along with each other, and we were really caught in the crossfire. They really wasted our time and were completely different when they were trying to earn our business than when we actually had a loan outstanding with them. We actually went through the downturn in oil prices with them, which was just a miserable process for all of us that were involved. As we've been able to get out of the bondage of debt as a company, there's been such a burden lifted. If you and your company can stay away from debt, you will be better for it. If you don't believe me, just listen to Dave Ramsey and his team. That's interesting because we, I think a lot of us in the business world, business majors, we know in our mind that on a personal level, we don't want to get in a lot of debt. You know, sure. We don't want to get in credit card debt. But I think a lot of us tend to think of it differently when it comes to an organization. You know, we, we stop using the word debt. We start calling it leverage. And, right. and thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Sure. I think that's some good advice. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it out. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? 
I've certainly been privileged to have a, a number of great mentors and voices speaking into my life. So if you ask me this question on a, a different day, you might get a different answer. But what's really speaking to me, I guess, right now is something that I heard reiterated by Bill Reeb and the uh, Leadership Development Institute. And I may have heard it elsewhere as well. But as a leader, we need to deflect praise and accept blame. This is what a leader does. This is what a leader looks like. I feel as though giving credit where credit is due fosters an efficient and effective team and accepting blame fosters an environment where you're supervising people who aren't afraid to make a mistake. Mistakes are fixable. We try not to repeat the same mistake twice, but we should all be growing and learning from our mistakes, and there's certainly value in that. Mm, thank you. That's really, sure. really good. Actually, you're the second guest and only the last couple of weeks now to mention Bill Reeb. I, I need uh-huh. to get him on the program. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he's a very inspiring leader and speaker. He would be good. Well, thank you. That is a, that is a wonderful piece of advice to end this on. I, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us, Ryan. Absolutely. Well, for our audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you haven't yet visited our home website, please do so. Obviously, we're going to have the notes from this interview with Ryan on our website. However, you can find the notes for all our interviews dating back about a year and a half at this point. That website is www.whereaccountantsgo.com. Once again, it's whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Ryan, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for, for the listeners? Sure. Definitely pass the CPA exam as early as possible in your career and just know that there are so many opportunities with a CPA license, so many things you can do with it that you will be able to find something you are passionate about and enjoy. Wonderful. You know, we can never hear that enough. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see you all next week. There's more to come.